2: You're listening to
0: Mile High Report Radio with your hosts Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And
2: now it's time to get to work.
0: Welcome back to the Mile High Report Radio Podcast. This is a very special edition for both Adam and me, and we hope all the listeners around the world who are Broncos fans and will know our guest, uh, Steve Atwater, who Broncos fans should know incredibly well, either from his playing days and now on Orange and Blue 760 on his show First and Ten at Ten, with Ryan Edwards and Andrew Mason, who have both been on the podcast. So now we top it off with the Smiling Assassin. So welcome aboard, Steve. We appreciate you doing this.
2: Hey, thanks, Ian and Adam. Thanks for having me on, man. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if you guys heard, but uh, when I was away from Denver and wanted to always keep up with what was going on, I always uh, put up you guys' stuff, man. It was, it was great. You guys do a wonderful job, uh, and I'm honored to be on with you. Well, thank you. We
0: appreciate that very much. So let's get right into it. This was the last day of training camp. It was the, the first joint session, so to speak. I know coming into the season, you were optimistic about what the team would be able to accomplish come the regular season. Now that training camp is over and they've played the first preseason game. How do you feel about the Broncos right now?
2: You know what? I still feel really good about them. Um, you know, I, I'm on record as saying I'm, I'm predicting the team to go 13 and 3. I know a lot of people uh, think I'm crazy. Uh, I kind of base that off of a lot of the young guys that we have, plus the mix of veterans that we have, plus been this coaching staff. At least uh, Vance Joseph's uh, second year in the system, and uh, with um, with the uh, office coordinator Billy Musgrave, I think he's going to do a wonderful job. So, uh, yeah, I'm pretty uh, pretty upbeat about it. And, of course, uh, we didn't play well in the first preseason game. Uh, like BJ said, we, we got off to a little bit of a slow start. Uh, the, the offense, the first unit, wasn't able to produce a first down. But uh, anyone who's been at training camp has seen how effective Case Keenum has been, how effective uh, those wide receivers, DT, Emmanuel, Cortland Sutton, Deshawn Hamilton, Tim Patrick. Ah, uh, River Craycraft, you know John D'Ar. How affected those guys have been in practice. Uh, so, um, you know, I think anyone who's been in practice has a good feeling that these guys are going to put up uh, some points uh, once they're able to be on the field and and play together for an extended period of time.
1: Well, that that makes us feel a little bit better. I, I will I will sort of mention from the from the fans' perspective. Obviously, I think going into that first preseason game, this is you know definitely the way I felt about it. I mean, I spent the you know those first few days of training camp listening to to you guys. You, you, your show was great. Listening to Mason go crazy when there was a, a big play or something, and you guys getting excited about it. I think there was some some real high hopes, some high expectations from the fans, and yeah. then you could sort of feel you could feel watching the game the 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 way the stadium sort of deflated after those first two series of yeah. really inadequacy and. It was almost like a, uh-oh, here we go again sort of moment for us. And, and again, as a fan, we're prone to overreactions. So um, is there is there one thing that stands out to you that that you could say to us as fans, to the people who are listening, this is why you don't have to worry about that?
2: Uh, well, first off, on the offensive side of the ball, again, uh, Case Keenum, we, we have a legitimate quarterback. We interviewed Demarius Thomas today, and he told us that, some of the passes that, that he's received from Case Keenum feels like they're coming from uh, Peyton Manning. So that's a heck of an uh, endorsement for Case Keenum. Uh, he was saying how the pass has come to where only the receiver can catch the ball. Uh, the defenders most of the time won't be able to get to it. it you know, it'll either be the receiver catches it or it goes out of bounds, but no one else will be able to catch it. That's a huge um, plus over over last year. Um, now, defensively, I know, uh, you know, the, all the cornerbacks haven't been to Tremaine Brock, who was brought in to be the, the third corner and compete with Bradley Roby for the second position, although I, I I don't think he was really competing with that <laughs> position. I thought he was going to be a third corner right off the bat. Um, he's been injured, so we've had to really play with really young guys that third cornerback position. And, uh, you know, it, it, they, they're also, I think, trying to play a lot more zone Defense in addition to man, and trying to mix all those things up, I think is a little bit of confusion right now. But I think as the season goes on, they'll be able to hone down the the, the defensive game plans and and know exactly what they're going to be running that week. And they'll be much more effective. So um, Broncos fans, don't worry. It's all under control. Uh, I, I believe we'll give everyone a little taste of that this weekend against the Bears.
0: Is there something that gives you pause for concern right now maybe it's the depth at cornerback or in in the secondary injuries maybe sua cravens not being on the field as much as the team would like him to be on the field is there an area that that you want to see improve going into the second game
2: yeah um for me it's always been really that third cornerback position i think is um uh, really one of the most important positions on the field with so many teams coming out in 11 personnel, which is one back, one tight end, three wide receivers. Um, And, you know, that third wide receiver, that that the cornerback that's covering that third wide receiver is going to have their hands full because um, as you know, they won't be playing all the time, but, you know, when three receivers in the game that have come in and they have to perform at a high level because, you know, many times quarterbacks focus on the guy who is not the starter. So, in, in this case, it would probably be either Tremaine Brock or Isaac Adam or Brandon Langley if he's able to uh, you know, raise his standard of play. Uh, so um, I think that that's the position that I'm most concerned about. And still, you know, I haven't seen a ton of Tremaine Brock since, uh, since he, he's been back from the injuries. I think he's practiced two or three days since his uh, injury uh, and hoping that he's able to – uh, come along well. He looked good out there on the field today. He, he's competing. He's physical. Uh, I think he's going to make some plays for. It. He's going to contribute. I just need to see more of it from him. Uh, I was really concerned about the offensive line um, going into the into the training camp. Uh, they are looking really good in my opinion in terms of pass rush, uh, being on the same page in terms of pass protections and and, and protecting. Uh, Case Keenum and uh, also Chad Kelly there at number two, um, so I, I feel much better about that now because that was you know another one of my big areas where I was concerned about. Um, but th- those really are the, are the main two areas, and I think even now, uh, once once uh, they prove to us that they can they can get the job done, uh, I think we'll be fine. And you're right, Asua Cravens, he's been he's been injured at the safety position. Uh, I think he's going to help us out quite a bit today in practice. Uh, Man, the Chicago Bears tight ends, they were catching passes left and right. And uh, the sooner we can get Sue Cravens back, the sooner that uh, we'll be able to see if he'll be able to really upgrade us in terms of uh, being able to cover tight ends, uh, especially down the middle of the field. Quick
0: follow-up with that. Has there been something that has surprised you?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, Cortland Sutton and Deshaun Hamilton – even DT 10 Emmanuel, that, that whole wide receiving core, I think, is our deepest position on the field right now. Uh, we have guys making plays all over the place. Even Tim Patrick, River Craycraft, Isaiah McKenzie jumping in there. Uh, it's just a, a unit that I think is very deep. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, there's going to be one or two receivers that don't make the team that could probably go and play for most teams in the league. Uh, so I'm, I'm definitely pleasantly surprised, and you know, I, I know about Cortland Sutton when he was at SMU, but I just didn't didn't could never imagine that he could come in and, and be able to um, compete so well so early on. Uh, and I'm I'm anticipating really big things from him uh, this year. And uh, you know we haven't talked a ho- whole lot about Bradley Chubb. Uh, you know of course defense really hasn't gone full speed in terms of taking guys to the ground, except for uh, this last game. Uh, but I'm looking to see him ramp it up, uh, ramp up his intensity. Uh, Coach uh, Joe Woods was saying that uh, he's he was thinking a little bit too much. He's telling him, "Hey, just let it go. Just go out and you know let it all hang out and, and go play ball. Stop thinking so much." And uh, I think he said he had a much better practice after he started doing that.
1: He seems like and this is something that I noticed on that goal line stand in that first drive when the Broncos ended up giving up the touchdown. He was he was right there on that uh, on that run stuff though like he 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 looks like a like a man in there he he didn't <laughs> nobody was getting past him on that one that was an yeah. impressive tackle is that something that you see from him on a day-to-day basis in practice where I know they can't go full speed but they're, they're he's definitely got those instincts where even on a run play like that I mean if you look at Ian's the shirt that Ian's wearing right now he's, he's got his orange rush shirt on which I'm sure you've seen <laughs> That's That's right. That's that's all about the pass rush. But the thing that stood out to me was his ability to stop the run when he was, you know, when he was in the right spot. Is that something that you see during practice as well? Like, is he instinctual with that as well?
2: Well, I I remember watching some of his game film when he was at North Carolina State, and that was one of the things that impressed me was his ability to hold that edge on the line of scrimmage without, you know, a lot of guys when when they're on the edge, they either go up the field too far and create that crease for the running back to go through or to get blown off the ball. Right. He does a good job of playing laterally to where it doesn't make it such a big gap that makes it tough for the running back to make it through that hole. Um, and I, I, I gotta be honest. I haven't really been watching him a ton. I've been, I have been having had a great angles for him uh, in terms of, uh, you know, being able to, you know, just ISO on what he's been doing. I've been seeing more of the receivers and, uh, and, uh, you know, the quarterbacks, of course. So uh, I'm hoping I'll get a chance to ice on him a little bit more. But every indication for me watching his, his college game field, he has all the tools to, to uh, excel at that uh, edge wrestling position.
0: One point of contention between, between you and Mace has always been, at least the last couple of weeks, is a bell cow back. You want the bell cow back, and then Ryan and Mace always want to go with the running back by committee. Yeah. Why? Were you as impressed as I was with Royce Freeman in his first professional football game, even if it was a preseason game? And do you think that he is going to be that bell cow back now for this offense?
2: Well, I I was impressed. Uh, It it was really – it was only one play, but it was very impressive. Uh, He's a big guy. He showed – his shiftiness, he showed his speed, um, you know, he, he hit that edge and, and there was no no stopping him, no catching him. Um, but I like to see things over an extended period of time. I like to see him get uh, more playing time. I wanna see him with, with you know, 10, 12 carries and uh, see how he's able to get onto the next level and uh, make people miss on the second level and you know how he's able to handle that contact when those linebackers are, are, are filling the holes. So, um, you know, I, I'm definitely high on them, but, um, you know, I'm also high on, on D'Angelo Henderson. I'm high, uh, on Devontae Booker in terms of, uh, you know, being the bell cow back. I, I can't say that one guy has really, you know, stood out enough to where I can say this guy's going to be the guy. Right. I just haven't seen enough yet.
1: Can I, can I ask just, just so that people maybe who don't get the opportunity to listen to orange and blue 760, uh, and so they haven't heard you talk about it. What to in, in your mind, cause you're, you're, former NFL player, in your mind, what does having a, a, a bell cow back do for the mentality of a team versus having that running back by committee? Um, when, when you think about that as, as a teammate of those guys and as a, as a player on the field, what does that do for you?
2: Well, for me, I, I, I've always been on teams where, um, you know, all the running backs, you know, you know who your best running back is. You know, I mean, everybody, the, the team knows, all the players, the defensive player knows who's the best running back. The offensive players know who's the best running back. And I believe that person needs to be on the field a majority of the time because I feel like when guys come in and out of the game, you know, they lose they lose their group. You know, you may come in and, you know, you have three or four rushes and then you say, okay, I see I have to adjust a little bit to the left to make sure I get through that gap. And then, you know, if you're a bell cow back, you'll be in the next series and you can make that adjustment. But if you're a running back by committee, you're off on the sidelines and you may forget about that and the next guy comes in and makes the same mistake. He, because he doesn't have a feel for the game, he has, he hasn't been able to get into a groove. So, uh, and it would be very difficult for me playing my position, the safety position, to go in one series, come out two or three series, go back in, come back out. You know, and just mentally, I, I think you know most guys would thrive if they're they're the best guy is in the game. He gives us the best chance to win. And of course, when he gets tired or if a guy is better at receiving out of backfield, hey, throw him in on third down or if we got. You know, we got a situation where we need to pass the ball. Maybe that guy goes in at that time. But, um, yeah, I'm definitely a a staunch believer in, you know, playing the best guy and, you know, let roll with it. We're going to see what he's he's got. And, uh, you know, if someone else becomes better, hey, now he's the the best guy. Let let him do what he's going to
1: do. Sounds like you're talking about rhythm. I like that. Getting the rhythm going.
2: What is the most important thing
0: for you to see come Saturday in the second preseason game with what we saw – in the first preseason game, what, what do you want to see? What kind of steps do you want to see? What kind of adjustments improvement? What, what will tell you that Saturday is a, is a positive step to where this team needs to be?
2: Yeah. Well, first off, you know, Vance Joseph said it, we got off to a slow start. I want to see the guys come out fired up, ready to play and get off to a much quicker start. Um, and along with that goes, uh, on the offensive side of the ball, actually putting together a drive. Uh, I want to, you know, actually see Case Keenum do a five-step drop and, you know, see him have to go through his progression and see if our offensive linemen are able to protect and be on the same page, make the adjustments they need to make in order to protect them. Um, and also on the defensive side of the ball, I want to make sure that we can stop the run. Uh, we, we certainly didn't do that last week. We were, uh, you know, and it was – you can see it right on the film. Uh, I think Bradley Chubb, I'm not sure who had that, that gap there. I think uh, Coach uh, Wood said it, it may have been Bradley Chubb's responsibility to be inside and these two outside, but these two probably could have came back inside and made that as well. But I just like to make sure everybody's on the same page there defensively, uh, clean up some of those those, those mental errors and, uh, you know, just uh, be able to compete more. I, I just didn't think we, we competed as well as uh, – as well as the, the guys can, you know, I, I know these guys, uh, have a lot of pride. Uh, they're very good athletes and, uh, they just got to go out on the field and do it. And, you know, they, they, uh, but again, with some of the injuries in that, and, uh, you know, uh, different guys being in the game, sometimes you, you get off track in terms of some guys not knowing exactly what to do. Uh, so, you know, back, back in the books, man, get in the books, make sure, we have all the defenses down. Make sure everyone knows uh, what gaps they're playing, and again, uh, simplifying that that defensive uh, game plan so uh, that the guy, everyone who's playing it, can really digest it. Uh, and hopefully, the coaches are, you know, testing these guys to make sure they know. You know, you can't really, uh, you know, I, I think some guys would BS it if they could. You know, they, yeah, I got it down, but they don't really have it down. Back in the day when I played, our coaches always gave us tests you know so we had you know make sure to write down where where everybody was going to be uh write down what our responsibilities are and every game we had to do that uh, and i like to see uh well they may be doing it now but you know we just got to make sure that we're not making these, the middle errors that we made this past week you mentioned the
0: run defense how big of a deal was it a big deal that von miller wasn't on the field i mean obviously he's a game record. does that would, does that impact it like that? And would that have an impact on them maybe not being as effective as they usually can be if he's on the field?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it does. But at the same time, um, I think we all feel like um, both uh, – well, we got four guys that's going to play quite a bit with uh, Von Miller, uh, Bradley Chubb, Shaq Baird, and then uh, and Shane Ray. All four of those guys are going to play. So really uh, – Whenever one one of those guys are in there, they can't let that happen. They have to make sure that there's no drop-off drop off, and or if the if there is a drop off, it isn't as significant as it was uh, on Saturday. It just uh, you know really didn't look good. It, it just uh, but for people who know football, you know football. If the person would have been in their right gap, it would have been stopped for a one yard gain, and we wouldn't be talking about it. But because uh, you miss a gap, but that's the kind of thing that can happen. So, uh, yeah, really, it's a matter of just guys make sure they're on the same page and make sure that the coaches uh, drill them, drill them, drill them until they know 100 percent that everyone that's on the field knows exactly what's going on. Not to sound see like it in the
0: first, you'd rather see it in the first preseason game than come the regular season,
2: right? And not yeah, to sound exactly now, hey guys, we know where where some of our weak points are. Now nah, we got to get back to the drawing board and and correct those things. And, uh, you know, I, again, looking at practice today, I know that the Chicago bears completed a lot of pass, but they're more on our second defense. And, you know, we got Sewell Cravens injured Jamal Carter. He's on IR now, uh, Tremaine Brock, just coming back off an injury. So, and hasn't been really practicing that much. Um, you know, not excuses, but I guess they do sound like excuses. Huh? <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, Guys, they got they got to put it all together because once the regular season starts, nobody cares about it. They don't care who's hurt. They don't care, you know, if, if your knee is sore. When you get on that field, they expect you to know. We expect them to know exactly what they need to do and them to do it to the best of their ability. They're getting paid a ton of money. Back when I played, I, I got paid a ton of money, and the only, my only job I had was to play football, and that's the same thing for them. And hopefully, uh, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll come out and they'll, they'll get the job done and they'll make – Broncos
1: country proud again. So it's, uh, essentially it's the Bill Belichick, do your job kind of, not to sound like Bill Belichick, but that's <laughs> right. That's the mantra, do your job yeah. and everything will work out just fine. Steve, I want to um, hopefully take an opportunity here because, you know, we've been covering the current Broncos for a long time and, and we're kind of getting to a point where we're also starting to talk about former players. We get into hall of fame stuff. And, and I was hoping we could talk a little bit about your playing days. Just a mm-hmm. little bit for the fans. Maybe as, I just as, remember it. Just, maybe <laughs> just as much for me, right? Like, I just want to talk about it. <laughs> but what um, – now, I, I think there's some obvious, obvious times in your career that you really probably go back to. Um, you know, winning the Super Bowl uh, is probably – I would say that's probably the highlight of your career. If I'm, if I, I'm not trying to speak for you, but
2: yeah, no, yeah, it was,
1: is, is there a, a moment maybe outside of that, that you go back to that you think this was, this was like a big moment for me as a player. This was, this was something that that's going to stick with me for a long time.
2: Uh, well, you know what? Um, I think uh, I, my early days, when I got a chance to be coached uh, by, by uh, Charlie Waters, my rookie year, Um and of course, having Dennis Smith on the team and some of the other veterans on the team uh, really helped my progression, and I think kind of set me on the right path in terms of uh, what my work ethic needed to be like, what my study habits needed to be like, uh, in order to 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 uh, try and get to the top, you know, try to be the best player that I could be. And uh, as you know, um, you know, a championship team is made up of a bunch of individual champions, you know, guys who commit to to, to being the best they can possibly be. Uh, So I I would say, uh, you know, Charlie Waters had a huge impact on me in terms of him. You know, he's a guy who was a former player who played the same position that I played and could really break break things down for me in a language that I could understand. You know, it wasn't this, you know, Calculus or trigonometry type of uh, of uh, teaching. It was uh, you know like like a you know person talking kid language uh, to really make me make me uh, understand exactly what I need to do. Uh, so that that was a, a big part of me. Uh, I think you know having a little bit of success um, and uh, you know just again getting getting on the right track early on and uh, just try to continue to build on that. And of course, when uh, I think also when Mike Shanahan became our head coach, uh, I think our mindset shifted a little bit to, um, you know, to just because we, we, uh, to where we felt like we could pretty much beat anybody that we played against because you know we we practiced hard, we we were fresh, um, and when we stepped on the field, we had confidence, and you know as a defensive player, we we felt like our offense could score on anybody, and as a defense, we felt like we could stop anybody. You know, we felt like we had good players, you know, with Neil Smith, Alfred Williams, you know, John Mobit, the linebacker, uh, you know, Ray Crockett corner, you know, on the corner, me and Dennis and Tyrone Braxton. You know, we were really confident that, hey, we got the players, we have the game plan, you know, now we got to have a little bit of luck to go along with that. But uh, we had great coaches and we believed in what the coaches were saying. And uh, I think many times uh, players – May not necessarily be their best because they don't necessarily believe in what the coach is telling them. They may feel like, "All right, Coach, call cover two. I don't think we can. I don't think we can play cover two down here. So I'm not going to go out and play it as hard as I can play it." You know, he may not say that consciously, right? But subconsciously, if he doesn't believe in the defense, he may not go out and play as hard as he should play.
1: That's like, and, uh, uh, like the concept of if I'm a pitcher, I'm a, I would rather throw the 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 wrong pitch that I'm confident in. Than the right pitch that I'm not confident in is that sort of right? Sort of, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah,
2: yeah. But I mean, as a as a as a football player, though, you know, unless you're Kate Manning or John Elway, you're not calling the call. Right. So you know, it's the coach that's calling the call, and you know, we try to spread the message amongst our defense that it doesn't matter what the coach calls, we're going to believe in it, we'll go out here and play it as hard as we can. Because we don't believe there's no way we're going to do it, you know. Uh, so we, I, I think that was a big part of. I think Mike Shanahan kind of brought that, uh, brought that aspect, uh, added that aspect to our game. Just, uh, you know, us really truly believing that the system that we were in would work. And uh, you know, like it's easy for us. We don't have to worry about calling plays. You, you're not the coach. <laughs> just worry about playing the play that's called. <laughs>
0: Obviously, we have to ask you about the Okoye hit because I was on with you and Andrew Mason, and Mason led off with the hit. And you were, you talked about how you were surprised that that hit has lasted as long as it has because you said that you really didn't think it was that big of a deal and it has turned into an iconic play. But not just that play, is there a play that you think in, in your career that should get mentioned? that maybe doesn't because of that hit on a Nah,
2: not really. Not really. I mean, I'm not one to say that, hey, th- this play should be played more. This play should be played less. Um, I know that play in the Super Bowl where, you know, I hit my guy and yeah, Randy Hilliard and then uh, Robert Brooks, man. That was, the, you know, I look at that play still. I was like, wow, I don't know how I did that. Uh, I was
0: actually going to ask you about it. Is, is, that the, is that when you think back on the Super Bowl, is that what, you you remember, aside from hoisting the trophy and celebrating with your teammates, is, is that what you remember about that,
2: yeah, that game Yeah, I, I remember, uh, you know, me dropping back into my deep third position and kind of leaning out. Well, I tried a lot of times when I was playing three deep, I tried to bait the quarterback to try to make it look like I'm so far away from the from the trip side to where he would throw it over there and I'd be able to get a great jump on it. And uh, Brett went for it. He threw it. And uh, I just remember thinking I can't let anybody catch this pass because you know it was kind of it was a clutch time in the game. And uh, next thing you know, I was it was. Steve at lumber, wake up. <laughs> <laughs> you know
1: that's funny because the the play, I think the play that you don't get enough credit for though is is the is the sack right on in the yeah, fumble yeah. because people don't because it was earlier in the game. But to me, that's maybe the one that. That set the tone for the defense for the rest of that for the rest of that game. And so I kind of look at that play in my mind as that that was maybe aside from obviously Elway helicopter and that might have been oh. the, the actual play of the game.
2: Yeah, that that was a big play and uh it's crazy because like Tyrone and I we used to work on our disguises, you know, making sure that, you know, we're in tandem, you know, Trying to make it look everything look like cover two, and then I come up and think like I'm a blitz when it's actually cover three or something. And I come back, so I got up in there early, you know, like I was going to blitz, came out, and then next time when they actually called the blitz, I got up in there and I backed out like I was going back. And they they hiked it, and bam, it was wide open. Uh, so yeah, it took a little bit of setting up, I think, but yeah, that, that, that one worked out nicely. It was a big, big, uh, big turnover for us at the time. Um, and, you know, it was a ton of great plays made in that game. Uh, I remember uh, there was a flag thrown, uh, the ref threw a flag on Ray Crockett or something, and then he picked the flag up. And I'm like, hey, man, this is supposed to be our day. <laughs> everything's going right.
0: <laughs> in terms of the Okoye hit, walk us through that that play. When you when he got the ball and, and you lined up and you – Gave him that iconic hit. What what was going through your mind? What what were you thinking before he got the handoff, and then when he got the ball? And can you just walk us through what that play was like from your perspective, and what you saw, and what you felt after you nailed him like you did?
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, earlier in the game, I'm sure you've out the video. Uh, he had run, had a run play, and he was on the ground. I helped him up. And Tyrone Braxton hey why did you help him up? And, I, you know, and I was kind of in the zone. You know, I wasn't really, you know, I wasn't really just, uh, I wasn't really thinking about what the heck I was doing. I hey, I know what I'm doing, mind game, mind games. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, and uh, so uh, I kind of had in my mind that, all right, because I helped him up, he is going to think that I'm not going to hit him as hard the next time he runs his ball. Um, and so, hey, I, I, you know, lead up to the game, Dennis Smith, he had been uh, – we've been talking, and he said, hey, look, we're looking at a lot of film. He's like, look, man, nobody's ever really just hit him straight up. Everybody's going low or they're letting him get past and try and jump on his back. Uh I said, we got we to gotta hit him straight up, you know. And hey, I'm a young guy. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. You got, I got, you're right, Dennis. Like, Whatever you say. <laughs> so, um, you know, the, the hole opened up, man, and um, I just – just did what we practice it, what we do in practice, man. We go up and you know try to meet them guys in the hole, and uh, you know it, it. really worked out nicely. Um, and as you know, uh, it doesn't always happen like that.
1: <laughs> That's right. Sometimes you're the truck, and sometimes you're the fly.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: you know, you mentioned Dennis Smith a few times. Uh, he's another one, another Denver Bronco who was. Is kind of one of those iconic Broncos from the those '80s teams and, and the early '90s and whatnot. Playing playing with Dennis was that a was that a big, it, how how much of an impact was was him and his career and 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 how was he an impact on you?
2: It was it was huge, uh, you know, getting a chance to play one of the greatest athletes I think that ever played the game. Uh, and you know, a lot of people don't realize, like, you know, Dennis—he like he couldn't even lift his left shoulder, man. You know, he had to like throw his shoulder up because his shoulder was so messed up. Uh, Uh, And, you know, he just just sacrificed his body. Uh, And he wasn't a super big guy. He was 6'3", but he was, you know, he probably 205. You know, I was about 215, 220. But, man, he was fast. He could jump. He could hit. You know, he could catch intercepts. He he could do it all. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate because he, you know, he he taught me a lot. He took the time to, you know, explain things to me the same way that, that Charlie Waters did. And uh, it was was really a blessing to, to be able to play with him for the length of time that I got a chance to play with him. And, you know, the thing that I hate is that, you know, he wasn't with us when we won the Super Bowls, you know. Um, and it's, you know, quite a few guys. You know, Carl Mecklenburg, another guy, man, that, you know, was just a heck, of a heck of a teammate, heck of a player. He and Simon Fletcher, guys who you wish, you know, could have won that Super Bowl. But even though they weren't with us uh, to, on that team uh, – I think we all feel like you know that that rings for them too, and I wish I wish wish a lot of those guys could have got got rings as well, you know.
0: I have called Dennis Smith one of the mo- one of the most undervalued, underappreciated Absolutely. Broncos of all time. Would Would you agree with that?
2: Oh, w- without question, without question. People ask me all the time, uh, you know, hey, who's the hardest hitter? You or Dennis Smith? Hey, Dennis Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Dennis Smith would destroy you. You know, I remember. We were playing against the Indianapolis Colts and, uh, you know, I was running over to make a tackle and Dennis came flying by me like a missile. Bow! And the only thing I could think about was, man, I got to pick it up. You know, <laughs> I, I'm going too slow. <laughs> <laughs> Dennis is going twice the, twice the speed I was going. I thought I was going fast. So, uh, you know, that, that was really inspirational. And, like, you know, nobody could have told me, all right, hey, Dennis plays really fast. I saw it. You know, I saw it. You know, him just – Shoot. And I'm like, whoa, what the heck? Okay. So um, yeah, very, very inspirational. And, you know, he knew football. Um, and he knew how to make the two safeties work together, the free safety and the strong safety in terms of, you know, disguising and things. And that's, you know, Tyrone and I, we kind of took a lot of that from what Dennis had taught us, um, how to disguise things. And if you are away from the three-receiver side, a lot of times Dennis lined up on the three-receiver side, and he tells a story a lot of times where, uh, a lot of times, one of those three receivers would be coming back to the weak side. and We played a lot of cover, two back then. And if, as the safety on the one receiver side, if I get focused in on that one receiver, I'm not going to see that other guy coming from the other side of the field. And a lot of times, you know, they make that catch and I wouldn't see it. And uh, once I started taking a peek over there at the beginning, everything just opened up, you know. And, uh, you know, I could get a feel for what the wide receiver, one wide receiver is doing on my side, but also feel this guy coming across and, you know, all three of you know, the stuff happens so quickly, you get a quick peek here, quick peek there, quick peek back at the quarterback, and you can tell whether he's throwing it outside or if he's going into the middle. And many times that middle uh, would be where big plays could be made, where it's a pass break up, big hit. Um, and, you know, it was because of Dennis, I was able to, you know, expand my, my, my peripheral vision in order to see that.
1: Yes. That's, I mean, that's, that's I'm sorry. So you, you might see me just sitting here smiling a little bit. Just listening to this stuff is just fantastic. I, I mean, I hope that, uh, I, I mean, it's just great stuff. Um, you mentioned a lot of players from the 80s and, and 90s that, like you said, they didn't get to, to experience the that thrill of winning the Super Bowl. But I find it interesting, and I'm curious about this, and maybe you can give us some insight on it. The Denver Broncos, to me, feel like a real close organization. Like Once you play for the Denver Broncos, you've, you've become part of a, a really important family. And that goes all the way back to the Orange Crush of the 70s and even beyond that, all the way back into the 60s. And I think it, it comes all the way up even through to the Peyton Manning era and even today. Is that is that a unique aspect of the Denver Broncos? Is that something that comes from this particular organization? Do you see that in other organizations in the NFL as much?
2: Well, I, I can't really speak for all the other organizations. I only play for the Broncos and uh, one other team in green and white. That I don't like mentioning, but.
0: Uh, <laughs> we don't either. We
1: don't have to talk about it.
0: Let's not talk. About it. We don't mention it either, Steve. Yeah. That, that Everybody's allowed one
1: mistake.
2: <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but um, I, I think really and truly that, you know, the, uh, the culture that uh, was created by Mr. Boland is one that, uh you know he cared about the people that worked for him, worked with him. It wasn't just a business relationship to where, hey, are right, you you're a player, you need to do this, um, uh, you know, be in at eight o'clock, get out of here by five. You know, it was more, hey, how, how's your family doing? You know, um, you know, I knew his wife and children. Um I still know them. I mean I just knew them, I, I still know them and um, feel like I'm a part of their family. I feel like they're part of my family. And, uh, you know, that, that does wonders for the culture, uh, because I think a majority of the people in the organization feel that same way. And as you know, man, when you, when you care about people, you know, you, you, you go to the end of the world for them. But if, if for some reason you think a person doesn't care about you, man, you won't, you, you won't bust a grateful, you know, I mean, that's, you know, with with little league football, I used to tell these guys. I used to get on the kids all the time, and you know, would would never pick them up. they all negative, and so you can't do that, man. You know, if you tell, show these kids that you care about them, they'll do anything, man. They'll they'll run through a wall for you. They'll they'll bust the wedge up. They'll they'll make the tackles. They'll run sprints fast, you know. But if they think you don't care about them, they're gonna shut it down. They're gonna shut it down, and that I think that's that's what uh, you know, uh, a really. Vital part of the Broncos organization that Mr. B uh, created. I think he was intentional with it. He, he, you know, he knew what what type of organization he wanted to create, and uh, that that still uh, runs through the organization today. And I say that because again, it 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 carries over to the retired players, the alumni, um, anyone that that's played for the Broncos. They're always uh, welcome back into the into the organization to different events and that. so it's really, uh, I think, a special thing. And I'm again, I don't know how many teams do that. You know, some teams may may do it, other teams may not. Uh, but I, I just know that it is a definitely a, a wonderful situation with the Broncos.
0: How much did he mean to you? And I know the answer to this because I interviewed him. I, I interviewed you about Mr. B last year. But how much did he mean to you?
2: I mean, he still means a lot to me. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, I know a lot of people sometimes talk like he's not here. He's still here. I know he ha- does have, um, Alzheimer's dementia, but, um, you know, when I've gone over to see him, you know, uh, the last time I went over to see him, um, you know, he, uh, he started laughing and he, you know, he pat me on my shoulder, you know, he was standing up and, uh, he must've had a, a good memory about something. And, uh, really, really made me feel good. And, uh, so yeah, he, he means the world to me. His family means the world to me. Um, you know, they gave me an opportunity to be the, the first round draft choice back in 1989, which they could have, you know, could have chosen anyone. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of times in the NFL, um, you know, a lot of times your success sometimes is depending on the organization that you go to and the types of relationships that you build within that organization. Because, uh, you know, life is really like that. You know, I mean, you meet the right people, uh, you, you, you hit it off right. The sky's the limit, but you get into an organization where you don't get along with people, and you know, it can all go down, downhill fast. So, uh, it was really a blessing that, uh, again, I wound up in the Broncos organization, and uh, Mr. Boland gave me that opportunity, and I'm, I'm eternally grateful.
0: I know it doesn't, he, he we've, we've talked about this, he would not want the attention on him being with him going into the hall of fame he would not want it what would it mean to the organization and for all the play- for for the for all the players like you even before you the players after you what what would it mean for this organization if what everyone thinks happens is going to happen come next week and he's he moves on to the to the full selection committee to go into the hall of fame and then he does get in what will that mean for this organization
2: Oh man, it's going to be huge. And I say, it's going to be because I think, I think it's going to happen. Uh, hopefully it's this year that it happens. Uh, but I mean, it means the world because uh, the people of Colorado, uh, his family, the organization, they know what type of man Mr. Bolin is. They know, uh, they know his heart. They know the hard work, the long hours that he's put in and the sacrifices that he's made to, to make this organization great. And, um, again, it's not just, you know, on the football side it's also on the personal side, you know, in terms of, uh, touching people's lives and making people still feel, feel special. And, uh, you know, he made people care about him. I mean, he, he, didn't, he wasn't trying to make people care about him. I'm sure, you know, he was just being himself, but it was make people love him and adore him and, uh, strive to be like him. So, um, it will be in the world to a, a ton of people uh, here in Colorado. And I would say uh, we have Bronco fans all across the world. So uh, all across the world, it would have a, a huge impact.
1: That's, I mean, how do, I don't even know where you go from that. That's such a, such a, such an awesome way to say all those things. It, it is high time that he gets in. Is it, can, can I ask you to be a little selfish is, is it time for Steve Atwater to be in the Hall of Fame? It's been time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That's what I
2: wanted. That's you know, I, I, wanted. Got, I got a lot of my buddies, man. I played in a lot of Pro Bowls and All-Star stuff with these guys. And they always say, hey, man, when are, they gonna, when are you getting in? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's up to the writers. <laughs> and it, it really is. Uh, I'm hoping that uh, one day they will see, you know, the uh, contribution – that I had to the game to, you know, a little bit of our success. And hopefully they'll see that I played a, you know, a, a part in us, uh, you know, winning those two Super Bowls and uh, trying to be a, uh, have a positive impact on the young guys that came into our organization. That was always important to me. You know, the, I try to treat guys the way that I was treated when I came into the league. Uh, you know, you see some of these teams where, you know, they try to, you know, beat up on the young guys and make them do a bunch of crazy stuff. Uh, no cutting the hair out that that counts that's that's good i'm good with that <laughs> <laughs> that's funny <laughs> but in terms of uh you know carrying shoulder pads that, that's all that's a part of being a rookie and you know these guys uh you know i think that they they appreciate it and uh it's great memories for them and uh, they can just carry that tradition on uh, but um for me uh a lot of the veteran guys just you know kind of took me under their wings and unselfishly uh, taught me a lot of the secrets of, uh, you know, having some success in the NFL. And I, I soaked it up. I soaked it up like a sponge. I, you know, I was always listening, asking questions and, um, you know, very, very thankful that, um, you know, guys, you know, thought enough of me to, to to share those things with me. And I tried to do that same thing with, uh, with the young guys uh, that were uh, on the team.
0: Why aren't there more Broncos in the Hall of Fame?
2: Hey, that's a good question. Um, You know, they say the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame is in Ohio, and, uh, you know, we had a few victories against them back in the day. (laughs) In Cleveland. (laughs) In Cleveland. All right.
0: I've actually never heard that explanation. I so like that. that, <laughs> that excuse. Makes sense. Okay. I like that.
2: You know what? I I can't take full credit for it. My man Mace. He he told us that. I'm like, man, that's a, that's a good point.
1: <laughs> well, he's a he's a Broncos encyclopedia. So if, if you know if I have oh. questions, I
0: go to Mace.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Mace uh, Mace finds the truth in everything.
0: <laughs> so I, I have to ask this because we talked about the two Super Bowl years. And I know Adam's reaction because I he he has the face right now. Is that loss against Jacksonville something that still eats at you like it does the fans,
1: like
0: like me,
2: like it just yeah? <laughs> it, you know it it really does uh, because I think we had a very special team that year in 1996. That was a, a magical season, 13 and three, first round by. Um, and we just came out and we, we, we couldn't, couldn't stop them as effectively as we needed to. Our office came out, they put some points on the board, but that, that, that those late drives, Mark Brunel, uh, uh, Keenan McCardell, Jimmy Smith, man, they just, uh, they were a little, a little too much for us. You know, we, 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 didn't get the job done and, uh, definitely a heartbreaking situation. Um, but I, you know, I also wonder if, uh, if we had gone through that, if the coaching, if the personnel people and the coaches hadn't uh, gone out to get some more talent, you know, some more of the guys who were there for the 97, 98 Super Bowl runs. Uh, but yeah, it does. Def- it definitely is, uh, you know, I, I still don't feel, feel great about that. I have a bad feeling uh, when I think about that that game there and, you know, kind of what we, what we left on the table.
0: Would that team have won the Super Bowl, do you think?
2: Oh, without question without question uh, done
1: this is simple yeah. of course I mean I could have answered that question that's, <laughs> that's, I know there are no dumb questions but that was pretty close
2: yeah well, I, mean, I, had to, I had to get one in dumb question and you know at the end of the game I had a deep dive bruise I couldn't hardly walk and you know and Timmy Hawk was in the game and I felt bad because I'm like man you know we're, we're losing and I can't hardly walk and uh you know, so that, that made it even worse for me, just knowing that um, you know I wasn't on the field, and you know I wish there was some way that I, I could have somehow toughed it out, but it probably would have been worse if I'd have been on the field because I couldn't couldn't hardly run.
1: <laughs> you know, it's interesting though. I I also kind of feel like kind of like what you just said. If you don't experience that loss, if you don't experience that sort of that that pain, not to you know bring up the pain. The, the highs of winning that Super Bowl the next year and then even the following year probably don't they're just not there right it's can you imagine it going a different way than it went
2: well um, Mike 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 and and mr. Bowen and the personnel staff man they, they were they were in a wonderful stage at that period in terms of uh, bringing in really talented guys uh, from other teams and uh, I think uh, that if we had won in 96, I believe that they still would have made some changes. Maybe not all the changes that we had, but they would have continued to upgrade our team to continue to to get better. Um, I remember uh, in the 97 season, Darian Gordon and Neil Smith, those guys coming over and I see them in the building, I'm like, wait a minute, man, are you about to sign with us? (laughs) I'm like, oh, yeah, we, you know, our I, I coach, they're going all out, man. They're, they're, they're trying to win it, man. And uh, he got me fired up. And, um, you know, I, I expressed my excitement for having those guys here. Uh, you know, I expressed to a lot of them, hey, man, look, you, we're just a few pieces away. And, um, But, but again, I think if we had won in 96, they still would have added a few pieces. And uh, I, I think we could have gotten three if, uh, if we had won 96. What if we go the other
1: direction? What if Elway sticks around for one more year and he plays one more year? Would you have gone three in a row on the opposite side of that?
2: No, man, I wasn't here.
1: Oh. (laughs) No.
2: (laughs) Would you have left? (laughs) No, I I wish I could have stayed, too. Uh, But uh, you know what? I I definitely think it it was possible. Um, And Terrell Davis, he – you know he got injured yep. uh, in that in that '99 uh, season, and um, you know that definitely impacted the team. But if John if John would have been there, could have made a run. Especially if Terrell hadn't gotten hurt, I definitely think he could have pushed for for a uh, third Super Bowl, possibly four if uh, we won in '96.
0: Absolutely. It, you you played in the old stadium, and you've been around in the new stadium. Do you see a difference, or is there a difference? Did you like playing in the old stadium?
2: Well, it does seem like the old stadium, because the fans were closer to the field. It seemed like it was louder for the you know for us on the field anyway. Um, and I remember you know my, my wife and kids they would come to the games and they would normally get there late and they walk right behind the bench. I get a chance to wave, hey, how you guys doing? And run back on the field, but. I just remember the the old stadium uh, being extremely loud and the South Stands, the way it kind of – it was kind of separate, you know. So it kind of stood out. And the South Stands was the crazy part of the stadium. And now it's just, uh, you know, just one unit that's all together. It doesn't stand out as much as it did uh, back in the day. So, uh, yeah, I really loved uh, playing there. And, you know, when they actually – when they got rid of the old stadium, when the, the, the last pieces uh, were uh, taken away, uh, it was kind of a sad moment because there's a, a lot of wonderful memories. And I'm sure it wasn't just me, but uh, all the players that played in that stadium, man, it was like, man, a piece of me is, is gone now, you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, things always change. And uh, the new stadium is a beautiful stadium. And, uh, you know, it's not definitely not the old mile high but i think it's uh i think it's a re- really really beautiful stadium and you know we could have keep both of them so <laughs> gotta park somewhere yeah
1: <laughs> Steve, um we had uh byron chamberlain on the podcast a few months back and and he did something that was really really cool he kind of you know talked to us a lot about his playing days and he gave us kind of a cool story about uh, about him and, and, and I was just curious is there anything from your playing days that maybe we wouldn't know something that happened maybe behind the scenes uh, that just kind of sticks out in your mind ab- about being a Bronco or, or, or a moment in, in your career that sort of does it's not something that people would normally talk about because it's not a, a normal conversation that you would have some type of you know just something you reminisce about every now and then and you go man that was pretty cool yeah um, Not to put you on the spot. Sorry. I'm yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Um, well, really, just my 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 career, man. Being a you know having an opportunity to play in the NFL and then again go to a team that is uh, you know such a wonderful organization. Um, could have gone to any team. I've gone to you know thirty one other teams and all uh, well, was the wooden thirty one back then. There wasn't that many back then, but you know you get the, you get the idea. I Could have gone to many different teams and uh, my my journey would have been quite different had I gone somewhere somewhere else. And uh, I just think it was a blessing to go to an organization that had the coaches in place who took the time to develop me as a player. Um, You know, I know I was a little rough around the edges Um, and then went to an organization with veterans who, you know, cared about the rookies that came in. Um, you know that whole thing is just—it's a blessing, man. I think back on it, you know, just you know, with, with a lot of gratitude that you know I, I was—I was a Denver Bronco. Got a chance to play with this this wonderful organization, and you know, not everyone gets that opportunity. You know, Barry Sanders, one of the greatest players I've ever played, he ended up playing his career in Detroit, and you know, not getting—you know—he had a ton of personal, you know, success on the field, but the team success they never had. And I'm not sure, you know, if that organization was you know, composed the way the Broncos uh, are composed and I'm not sure that they, you know, have that same love for their players the way that the Broncos do. Uh, So I I think about that, uh, that overall picture, man, and how uh, even when I got the call from uh, Mike and and, uh, Pat that I was going to be released, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't upset at all. I was like, Hey, thank you, you know, for giving me the opportunity to play for the Denver Broncos. It's been a wonderful ride. And, you know, I love you guys, you know, because, uh, you know, I had nothing to be upset about. It's, it's a business and, you know, it is going to come for, for everyone one day in this profession. And, uh, so, um, yeah, just, just an honor to, to play that. That's what, what I would say is my, my biggest overall. When I think back to my career, I just say, man, I'm, I was, was blessed to be able to play for such a wonderful organization and meet so many wonderful people over the years.
0: And with that, I think we'll, We'll call that a, a wrap for this podcast because that's think, a great way to end it. So, so, Steve, we appreciate you taking the time out of after a busy day of being out at camp for the for the first joint practice and, and two busy weeks of covering camp. So we definitely appreciate you appreciate you taking the time to, to jump on with us. Absolutely.
1: Yes. And let me just say you're great on the radio too. And I, I, know, I know I might be fanboying a little bit here, but you really are. the You and, and Mason and Edwards, you guys are a fun show to listen to. And I know that uh, I know getting into a new career and things like that, you, you've been fantastic yet. And it's been a pleasure to kind of watch you grow into that. And I know you're still growing and, and getting better every day, but it's been, it's been phenomenal. So not only a great football player, but also really, really good on on the radio as well. So, so really happy to have you joining us and doing this doing this with us as well.
2: Hey, well, I appreciate those kind words, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely working hard. But you know, I got uh, you know, uh, Mace and Ryan. They do a great job of you know helping me when when I, when they, I do things wrong. They you know they let me know about it, and I you know I take that take that uh, constructive criticism and, and try to improve on it, and uh, you know just another example, man, of uh, hey, being, being with good people and uh, I think as hey, long, long as we keep working, man, we're going to continue to get better. Absolutely. Yeah. Really do appreciate it, Steve. All right, uh, Adam, appreciate you, Ian. Thanks so much, man.
0: Thank you, Steve. Appreciate it.
2: All right, guys. See you soon. See ya. See ya. You've been
0: listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com and as always, go Broncos!